Oh, it's a privilege of a lifetime to get to lead uh, not just this church, but this movement, this global movement, together with my wife and my brother and sister-in-law. That's amazing. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Ooh, God's so good. Wow. I'm, I'm just so excited for uh, this next weekend that's coming. And we've been preparing our hearts for months for what's about to happen. And as a church family, we're going to have the privilege of hosting people from all over the United States of America. And uh, many of them are our friends. And they've been praying and preparing and getting excited. And very often, it's, 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 we find ourselves playing catch up in our hunger level for the things that are happening right under our nose. And there is a really epic weekend planned by God from before time began about to erupt next weekend. And I'm excited for it. And, uh, and so my message, knowing that I was going to be preaching on the Sunday before, as I waited on the Lord, uh, the Lord gave me the message I'm going to deliver to all y'all. I've already delivered it once in the previous service and uh, I'm going to deliver it again in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is about preparing for a move of God, preparing our lives for the coming fire. And one of the things that I've noticed in my own life and no doubt some of you have perhaps noticed in your own life, those of you that are truthful with yourselves, is that when we get an understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ and we understand that God has given us all things through his son and that he has paid the price in full for all of our iniquities, transgressions and sins, and that Jesus, through his life and his death on the cross and his resurrection three days later, has achieved for us all everything that we need for a life and godliness in the power of the Holy Spirit. When we understand that, if we're not careful, we become complacent in our walk with God in our spirituality. And instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ being an invitation to walk even more deeply with God, we find ourselves playing in the shallow end of what's possible. And we don't even realize it. And we go about our daily lives. We go about our daily lives in our families, in our professional life at work, in our church life. We, God, we do God a little favor. We give him a little of our time here and there. Maybe catch up on a little Bible reading every now and then. Maybe even graciously do him enough of a favor to pray. And in the midst of all of that, even our prayers tend to be centered around ourselves as though somehow we're the center of this universe. From time to time, we might even go so far as doing God the, a really big favor and even fasting. And I'm not talking about all y'all, I'm talking about me. And there's something in me that desires to overcome the entitlement mentality that I find myself so easily walking in. There's something in me because I love Jesus with all my heart that I want to actually fulfill all of my great intentions. You see, I'm the sort of person that when I 
met with Jesus on the mountainside and on a, on a pathway in the Rocky Mountains in Estes Park, Colorado, when I was 20 years old and I had an encounter with the living God, I was completely and totally undone. I was overwhelmed. My brother will tell you, hey, came, I came back from America a completely different man. I was no longer English, I was heavenish. Now American, heavenish. But maybe like me burning with love for Jesus, you have this desire to live a life that's noble. This desire to be a person of prayer, to be a person steeped with the word of God to be someone who learns the scriptures and can just drop them at the tip of my tongue. To be somebody who when I say to Jesus, I'm really gonna fast, I actually do it. <laughs> to be somebody when you know that there's a holy convocation it's not a conference, everybody. It's a confrontation between the living God and little me that's about to happen starting Thursday night. And like Murray said, it's not a replacement for living a life of intimacy with Jesus. No conference is ever put on for that. No holy convocation was ever put on for that. And the ancient Israelites were encouraged to walk with God daily, to have daily sacrifices, but they were encouraged also to come and present themselves together in feasts, holy convocations throughout the year, special moments where they get to set aside their lives in the presence of God in a way that just is an opportunity for them to touch his heart. And there's something in me that when I'm looking at a, at a weekend like what's coming up next weekend, I want to prepare well. I want to be consecrated. I want to be someone who actually truly puts their life on the altar with Jesus so that, as many worship leaders have said through the past, so that fire will fall on this sacrifice. Because if fire falls on sacrifice, which it does over and over again, we read in the scriptures, and and we're called to be living sacrifices, then Lord, please let my life be a sacrifice that arrests your gaze and that you graciously pour fire all over me. And if you need to pour the kerosene of your spirit, the oil of your spirit, the petroleum of your spirit all over me, so that when you light me, I blow up, then would you please do that? Because I'm simply not interested in living a life for myself. I've been wrecked by you, Jesus. And the problem, the problem's me. See, going to get real with you for a minute. And the reason I'm on my knees like this is because I'm one of your leaders. In fact, Kate and I are the presidents of a global movement. We have upwards of 200 churches. We had. Now a whole movement in India have just joined in with 4,000 churches. 4,000 churches that are part of Catch the Fire World. We've just had a 
one of our pastors in Colorado, Boulder, Colorado. They've been apostolic leaders in Vietnam and in northern Thailand. But they've just been approached by a movement in Sierra Leone, West Africa, with 300 churches. And they've just asked if they can, if those, if our pastors in Colorado would be their apostolic leaders, which they said yes. And they've now asked all 300 churches, plus goodness knows how many Bible schools, if they could all be part of Catch the Fire. It's amazing, isn't it? But you know what's even more amazing? That God would let someone like me have the privilege and the responsibility of leading a movement like that at this time. A movement that has been, that was birthed and is in revival all over the world. And it, I'm, Kate and I and Murray and Ash, we're the second generation of leadership of this revival that started way back in the 19, late 1970s when John and Carol planted a church and really ramped up in 94 in January when the Holy Spirit just chose to land on them all up there, 120 of them on a Thursday night. Wasn't even Sunday. And God just landed on them and nobody could stand up. And it resulted, and they decided that they would, they would go the Friday night and then the Saturday night and then the Monday night and the Tuesday. And it carried on for 12 years of nightly meetings up to a thousand, most an average of a thousand people every single night. And I know John and Carol and I know that they, they're the couple that God chose and, you know, John's going to be celebrating his 81st birthday on December 25th this year. And he laid hands on Kate and I virtually on The Surge. Many of you may have seen that. If you haven't, go watch The Surge. Type in The Surge on YouTube and watch it. He laid hands on us. And we became their successors. That's why he laid hands on us, chose us to lead this global movement. And in fact, at the conference, they'll no doubt reaffirm that. But here's the thing. We're talking about a man right here who says to the Lord in preparation, Lord, I calculated 40 days from the conference. And I said, Lord, I'm going to fast 40 days in preparation to the conference. And having calculated it with all the best intentions in all the world, the day came and went and I didn't even realize I forgot. So then I thought, well, hope's not lost. I'll do a 21-day fast. People do that. I'll fast for 21 days. Well, in the fullness of all that's on my plate, I completely forgot the 21st day as well. But then I thought, it's okay. I'm going to do a seven-day fast. People do that. I'll do that. And then when it came to it, I thought, man, I'm hungry. I know I'm going to do a three-day fast. And I don't know about you, but three days just seems to take forever. How do you prepare for a move of God when you're a goof like me? About a month ago, someone from the UK, and we had just been in the UK and Germany, and the Holy Spirit, you know what's so amazing is that despite us, God moves so powerfully. 
But we need to understand, everybody, that the anointing of God and the Holy Spirit using us is never an endorsement of our character. When you're at work and you come up with an amazing idea because God filled you with that idea, or you make an investment that makes millions of dollars and you are just a really successful individual, make no mistake, none of that is an endorsement of your character. All of it is an endorsement of Jesus' character. And about a month ago, a friend of ours, she just texted Kate and texted a link to a three-year-old YouTube video from September Catch the Fire conference in Toronto, another one of those holy convocations. And in this conference, she said, fast forward to such and such a time, you'll see was it two, two hours and 38 minutes, something like that? And you will see the speaker who's a mighty man of God and he's prophesying over you. And I just felt to remind you of the prof prophecy. So Kate, she's, Kate and I are like furiously, where, where is that? Like, what? what? We watched it. Starts like this. The speaker's doing all, all sorts of amazing things, kind of like Benny Hinn. And all of a sudden he stops and he goes, pauses in the conference in Toronto, Canada. He says, I want to light a fire in Raleigh. I want to light a fire in Raleigh. Where's Duncan Smith? Bring him here. So Kate and I, we come up. And we, we're standing before him. Well, actually, we're kneeling in front of him. I want to light a fire in Raleigh. And I'm looking for you to build me an altar. And I'm looking for you to wear a wooden cross on your back. And are you willing to pay the price for a move in Raleigh? And so it went on. And I'm watching myself. And I'm like, Duncan Smith. Why did you not take that word seriously? Of course I did. But at the same time, the very thing that I'm preaching about this morning didn't. Because there's something in me that despite the fact that Jesus has done it all for us, I barely can do a thing for him. And it's so frustrating. And I'm watching myself on this video and I'm thinking any time right now would be a really good time for you to take this seriously. You see, because I can remember what I was thinking. I was thinking to myself, why are you going on and on about the cross and suffering? Don't you realize I've written a whole book on the cross? I know all about the cross and resurrection. And I realized as I was watching it a month ago, Lord, I really, really need you to teach me how to build an altar. And as I began to meditate on that and as I began to be mobilized in my heart towards building an altar, I realized I'm really clueless. And not only that, 
all of my best intentions are hopelessly, woefully inadequate to ever prepare for a move of God. And it began to plunge me into the complete reality that I can't, only Jesus can. And yet, if I can't, but he can, and I began to realize he won't if I don't, but he will if I do. And so there's this, there's this reality in Christianity that's completely different to every other religion. And I know that Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus. But I'm using the word religion so that you understand because I'm comparing. Every religion in the world is about man making a sacrifice for God. But as Reinhard Bonnke said, true Christianity is about God making a sacrifice for us. How do we prepare for a move of God? We plunge deeply into all that Jesus is for us. Into who he is for us. And think about all of the things in your heart that you would love to do for God. How many times have you thought to yourself, Lord, I want to be devoted to you in the secret place of prayer. Lord, when no one's looking, find me looking into your eyes. Lord, I want you to do miracles, signs and wonders through me. Lord, I want my mouth to be a mouth that's a sacrifice of praise. And the tragedy is that all too often, I hear of people that know Jesus and love Jesus and yet in their daily life once they walk out of here they drop the F-bomb liberally like it's some kind of normal thing to do. No, it's not. It's wicked. It grieves the Holy Spirit. Don't mess with fire. And so often in here we're like, God, I want to I'm going to, I'm going to lay my life down. I want to be like Heidi Baker. I want to be like Reinhard Bonnke. I want to be someone who, who gives it all up for you. And we sit here plotting, I'm going to give up my life as a, as a, a real estate agent. I'm going to give up my life as a banker. I'm going to give up my life as a, as a mom at home. I'm going to give up my life as a worship leader. I'm, I'm going to give up my life as a pastor. I'm going to give up my life as, as a, you know, a, a truck driver. I'm going to give up it. I'm going to give it all to you and I'm going to become that. I'm going to win millions of souls. Because I want to live because that's what you're worthy of. And you know what? You're absolutely right. Jesus is worthy of you giving not just your career up, not just your life up, not, not, not just winning a million souls. He's worthy of you winning 10 billion souls. And you know, he takes those moments and he understands in the integrity of your heart that you really, really mean it. But he also understands and knows you ain't going to do it. And he still burns with love for you. And not only that, here's the most epic part of the gospel. Every sacrifice you could possibly do for him, he already sees that you've done it. Because even those sacrifices are not actually worthy of him yet. He's worth even more. If you could dream up all the sacrifice that you could possibly think of ever giving to him, he's still worth infinitely more than that. That's why he came into the world and became the sacrifice once and for all, for all of humanity. So that you've already won a billion souls. 
That's already credited to your account. Because Jesus has been credited to your account. And he has won billions of souls. See, the reality is, is that even in the deepest part of our beings, our motives are still being purified. Because we want to win a million souls. But we're still not yet there where we want to win a million souls. And let it all be for Jesus. We still have ourselves just a little bit in there. In the hope that those millions of souls that we won will be remembered. <laughs> Maybe you're not like me. I just have this feeling you probably are. I want to just take a moment. How do we prepare for God? In Exodus, we're going to go to the scriptures now. Exodus 29. Turn with me to Exodus 29. In Exodus 29, my Bible which is, I'm reading from the English Standard Version today. I like all of them, by the way. The title of Exodus 29 is Consecration of the Priests. Consecration of the Priests. Now this, verse 1, now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Let's just stop right there. How many of you know that we are a kingdom of priests? We're a royal priesthood. Okay, you are a priest. A priest is somebody who serves for all, for everybody unto God in the tabernacle of God, in the temple of God, who brings to God sacrifices on behalf of all the people and does intercession for them. And what we're reading right here is what God was saying, I want the tribe of the Levites headed up by Aaron and his sons who are extra special within this special tribe of these special people, Israel. Very special, 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 special. This is how I want you to make them even more specially special. I want you to consecrate them. And he spends the entire chapter talking about how a very, very carefully prepared ritual for seven days of preparation involving the sacrifice of bulls and rams and the pouring out of their blood and then taking the blood, Moses, and anointing the, the forehead, the right thumb, the right foot, the toe of the the big toe of the right foot, the thumb of the right hand, etc., etc., mixed with oil of anointing. And then you're to sprinkle the, a little bit of the blood and the oil mixed together and sprinkle them on their clothing, which is not normal clothing. It's special clothing that only comes out when they're serving in the temple at the altar to bring sacrifice because I am a special person and I want a special people in special clothes with special anointing oil and special blood that's cost something. I want only them serving me as they pray and intercede for my special people, my treasured possession, Israel. And at the end of the seven days, verse 37, turn to verse 37. We'll start in 35. Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons, according to all that I've commanded you, through seven days you shall ordain them. That means you shall set them apart. And every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. Also, 
you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it and shall anoint it to consecrate it. So you're going to make a sacrifice on it with blood. You're going to shed blood on it and you're also going to anoint it with oil and you will anoint it to consecrate it. Verse 37, seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall become holy. Once you have consecrated this altar, it is now most holy. When the blood of animals has been shed on it for seven days and the oil has been anointed on it for seven days, it will now become an altar that's so amazing, so most holy, that every single thing that ever goes on that altar will now become holy. What an amazing type of Jesus. You see, Hebrews tells us, the writer of Hebrews, that when Jesus came, he came not just to serve at the earthly altar, but to come and serve at a much, much more important altar of which the earthy altar that we've just read was simply and merely a shadow pointing towards the heavenly, the real altar that would be consecrated, not just for seven days, but seven days of creation and that that altar would be none other than the Son of God Himself as He gives His life on the cross and the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God becomes the ultimate altar and everyone that ever touches every single human being that simply believes and comes to that altar and puts themselves on that altar by faith is instantly made holy forever, made perfect forever. And what did they bring to that altar in the shadow? Well, they brought the sin offering. They, burnt the, they brought the burnt offering. They brought the grain offering. They brought the fellowship offering. They brought a multiple layered and multiple different sized offering according to specific dates and seasons. And what does that symbolize? It symbolizes in the new covenant that we're not just to come to God, to come to Jesus at that altar and bring him all of our sin, all of our inadequacies, all of our weaknesses. We're not even just simply to come and bring all of the things that we wished we could do, but we just haven't all of our best intentions. We're invited to bring ourselves in all of our completeness and that includes even our very best. Even the finest accomplishments that you've ever actually accomplished, bring those too and let them die. Not just all the things you wished you hadn't done. Not all the things, not just the things that you tell God I'm going to do that you don't. But all the actual things you do actually successfully, finally manage to do. All of it died with Jesus at the cross. So how do you prepare for a move of God this week? You remind yourself, it just ain't about me. It's all about Jesus. That's what it's really about. I was talking with somebody at the end of the first service and with all sincerity of heart, they said to me, Duncan, your message has just cut me to the heart and I don't, how do I take all of those things that I really truly wish I could possibly do in my life, I've, I've literally set 
in my heart from years ago, God, I want to do X, Y, Z for you, with you. And his tears in his eyes. And I said, you join me in believing by faith that even all of those things, they're not even close to good enough. And not only that, Jesus did them better. And that what he did for us is final and accomplished. Jesus has done it all. And because of that, and he said to me, but then how do I live? I said, you live in that. You live in that so completely that while you're at home, you welcome that person, Jesus, to come and be all that he is between you, to your wife, to your children. When you are at work Monday morning, you welcome him into the boardroom. You welcome him into every single conceivable moment. You welcome him into every decision. You remind yourself with joy. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. Jesus, do the deals that I'm hopelessly, woefully inadequate to do. You do those deals through me. Jesus, this tongue that's been dropping F-bombs. Not me, but maybe you. I haven't. I haven't dropped the F-bomb since 1988 when I met Jesus. It's never come on my tongue, not once. And I boast in the Lord. But maybe you, but I've got, let me get, hey, before you think that's amazing, I've got other things that I've had to overcome. Whatever those things are that we have to overcome, may the Holy Spirit empower us in the living Savior Jesus to overcome them every single day. And not only that, to live in the reality of His presence and His goodness. And this weekend, May this weekend be the most spectacular moment we could possibly ever, ever experience. Maybe your hope might be a little bit something like mine. My hope is that there'll be so much fire in this building that people who live around here will literally dial 911 to get the fire brigade out. They'll swear blind that the church, that church catch the fires actually caught fire. It's on fire. Because that's what happened in Chicago 150 years ago. Finney's meetings, Moody's meetings. Non-Christians could see the fire that Christians couldn't see. My prayer for you is that while you're in here, you're here. My prayer for you is that you get so saturated with the fire of God on Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, that you get so engulfed with his fire that finally you're able to lay hands on people and power flows through you, the likes of which you've never ever experienced before. My prayer for myself is that I get finally anointed with so much power that when I'm kneeling in front of a quadriplegic or standing in front of a quadriplegic in a wheelchair and I say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, that they come leaping out. You know why? Because, because I'm done with the impotency in my own life. You see, I know what it's like to pray for a number of quadriplegics over the years, including one of my best friend's grandchildren, who when he was 17 years old, had a horrible, horrific accident in an American football game. 
and collided with somebody and it snapped his neck. 17 years old, quadriplegic instantly, in a wheelchair. And his grandpa heard that I was in town. And his grandpa said, I'm going to bring my grandson. And his grandpa's a famous man of God. He said, Duncan, I'm bringing my son because I know the anointing on your life. You've seen so many extraordinary miracles. And folks, I'm not going to deny that. I have but graciously been used by God for some outstanding miracles. But as I knelt down in front of his grandson and I tried everything, I threw every single bit of learning from the book at this situation. I don't know, I mean, it's among the, among the miracles that I've most wished God would do. And I took his cold, lifeless hands in my hands and I led him through prayers of forgiving everybody in the situation, including himself, including releasing God from his disappointment, you name it. I tried everything, you guys. And nothing happened. I'm looking forward to the day when I do not have to resort to my one-liner that I don't use to let myself off the hook or to preserve my reputation, but I use it to minister to the person's heart who hasn't been healed. And I said to the young man, what I often say when a person hasn't been healed after I've done my very, very best to help them be healed, and I say to him, I find myself saying to him, looking him in the eyes with tears in my eyes, I'm so sorry that you're not healed. Let's put this down to the fact that I'm still learning. It's not your fault. It's not on God's end. It's definitely not on your end. It's on my end. And I hope that this weekend, somehow God graciously anoints, not just me, but all of you that come with the kind of power that never, ever has to use that apology ever again. Because God doesn't come because we're learned, learned. He comes because we're powerful. His power resting on us. How do you prepare for a move of God? You get really hungry for that. And I'll finally say it. Not only is it that, but that the motive of our hunger for his presence and his power and for the world to encounter God's transforming presence is never ourselves or our reputation or what anybody would ever think of us. But our motive is that all of it would happen for the glory of Jesus, for the fame of his name, not ours. Lord, you want to light a fire in Raleigh. You've said it. You've said it multiple occasions by multiple prophets. And you want to do it through this church as well as other churches. But you for sure have prophesied you want to do it through this church family. Lord, would you please do it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. If you're hungry and you're thirsty and you, like me, the type of person that you just know in your heart of hearts, Lord, I want to give my all. I want to give my all. Then this is your moment right now. The Lord spoke to me this morning. 
I was asking him, Lord, how do you build an altar? How do I make my life a sacrifice? This is what he said to me. Your life becomes a sacrifice, Duncan, when you no longer come to God to get because you know he's already given you all things. But you come to God to give. All of me for all of him. All of him for all of me. And if you'd like to join me in truly being a living sacrifice today, I want to invite you to come up here to the front. Those of you that feel comfortable to wear a mask, please put a mask on. But I want to invite you this morning, church family, to come to the Lord this morning in an act of radical consecration to Him. See, we're not coming forward to somehow add to our salvation. to earn our way to God choosing us to put a flame of fire on our heads. We're coming forward to simply say to him, God, here I am. Here I am with all of my sin that you've paid for at the cross. Here I am with all of my best intentions in how to prepare for you. That actually Jesus, you became for me. You're already way better for me before the Father. You're already way better than all my best intentions. Whatever I could have possibly been. If I could have somehow given you the very best of my very, very, very best. Out of all my best intentions in the imagination that you've given me that I could possibly do or be for you, thank you, Jesus, that you've already become it and more. And Lord, we're coming forward today, not just with our worst, not just with the best of our imagination, but Lord, we're also coming with the best of what we've accomplished, that what we are good at, what we genuinely are marvelous at, we wanna give all that to you as well, because you're worthy of it. And Lord, we wanna present ourselves today to you as a living sacrifice, we step up by faith onto the altar that's most holy, that Jesus, you drenched with your own blood and anointed with your very spirit, the Holy Spirit. And we give you ourselves. Lord, when we stand before you, it doesn't feel like very much but whatever it was that you saw in us that caused you to desire to die for us whatever that that is Lord we give it to you with every fiber of our being Like one of our spiritual fathers, Randy Clark said, says so beautifully, Lord, let me be your penny. Pick me up like a little penny, like a coin. Put me in your pocket and spend me any way you want. want to invite you to just 
pour out your heart of love to Jesus. And just remember that a life lived in faith in every moment, every day is so much better than a life of good intention. And Peter said, Jesus, I will never leave you like, or these might all leave you, but I'll never leave you. And Jesus said to the same Peter in that moment, I tell you the truth tonight, you will deny me three times before the cockerel crows. And while Jesus was in Gethsemane pouring his heart out, had asked his disciples to pray, just stand with me. I'm going over there to pray a stone throw away. My darkest hour. He's crying out, Father, if if at all possible, take this cup from me, sweating blood. And the same disciples, just like me, right where Jesus left them, snoring away, sleeping. Lord, I ask you to graciously awaken my heart and find me faithful when it truly counts. I know you've done it all for me. I know that it's all done. But Lord, for your sakes and for your glory, find me a resting place. Find in me, find in us a resting place of your presence and power and anoint us with your fire. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for being our sacrifice. Holy Spirit, thank you for your anointing. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So stay hungry. Stay thirsty for his his presence for the life of Jesus and for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Dunk, for a great message. We're going to just draw the meeting to a close. Have a great time this week in your connect groups, in your workplaces, just experiencing God and enjoying Him. Hopefully we'll see you at the conference, if not all of it, part of it. And um, be filled and be blessed. Tea and coffee out there. Um, if you want to have some tea, coffee, catch up with people, that would be good. I'm going to be at the back, the connect table. If you, um, you have any questions or anything that you uh, want to know, then please come and find me or Pastor Day at the back. Um, otherwise, have a great week. Love you all.